0: You're listening to Back to the Light with JD Rieger. Hey, everybody. Welcome to yet another episode of Back to the Light. I am J.D. Rieger. Before we start this week's show, I gotta invite you to the Back to the Light Spring Turnout Saturday, May 21st at Crosstown Brewing Company in Memphis, Tennessee. We'll have music from 3 to 8 p.m. featuring myself, of course, and the subteens, Jeremy and the Drip Edges, Loose Opinions, and the Down Sprouts. There will be delicious food from the New Wing Order food truck. All ages are welcome and best of all, admission is free. That's this Saturday, May 21st, 3 to 8 p.m. at Crosstown Brewing in Memphis. It's the Back to the Light Spring Turnout. My guest for this week is not only a talented musician and radio host, but also an advocate for recovery and recovery causes. You can currently catch him on stages in one of my favorite Memphis bands, Turnt, with Ross Johnson and Company, and on the airwaves hosting A World Away, Monday nights on WYXR 91.7 FM, WYXR.org worldwide. This is my conversation with James Inc., aka Jimmy Inc. Jimmy, thanks for joining me on the show. Oh, my pleasure! Thanks for having me. Do you prefer Jimmy or James?
1: Uh, it doesn't. I mean, here I've always been sort of known as Jimmy, but I mean, it you know, uh, other places I've been James. It's up to you,
0: whatever you like. And that's Jimmy like Hendrix, not Jimmy like. Rogers I just started or... doing
1: that as I just started doing that as sort of a joke. Is know? that
0: a, is that a new twist? Relatively, well, probably the last.
1: <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it goes back further. I, I can't remember. But yeah, I started using that because no one could pronounce my last name given the way it's spelled. So I started using I-N-C period as a joke. And then the the Hendrix evolution just seemed like a natural you know
0: extension. Well, I always try to honor, you know, whatever someone's preference is. Call me Jimmy. <laughs> Jimmy it is. <laughs> well, as I was just telling you off the air, as it were... Uh, One of the reasons I wanted to talk to you was because I am promoting a show at a brewery coming up and just felt spiritually it would be important to do something to just balance that out a little bit, a (laughs) a, uh, carbon offset, if you will. (laughs) So, and I know that you're an outspoken person about your own recovery and a supporter of recovery causes. Correct. Yeah. So let's, let's get into it. When how long have you been free was alcohol your
1: alcohol was my my really one and only you know dabbled with other things as many people did but um, That was the only one that was problematic, and it was hugely problematic. So uh, After sort of going through all the phases you go through uh, When when you have a problem uh, as I did, you know, I, I tried Various approaches to, you know, toning it down, weaning myself, et cetera, et cetera. And moderation never
0: worked for moderation me. Moderation
1: never worked for me, hard as I would try. I think I'm just programmed that way, unfortunately. Um, Same. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know what I mean. Uh, so, yeah, this time last year, roughly sort of June uh, last year, I fortunately had a sort of a, a health crisis uh, that Kidney kidney infection that basically sent me into really serious withdrawal and I uh, decided I finally had to just you know stop Dicking around and uh, get get help. So I went and uh, Got some medically assisted uh, withdrawal uh, Detox uh, up in Nashville outside of Nashville a place called recovery unplugged which is a great facility um, and uh, have been feeling great since then, coming up on 11 months, and uh, life's never been better, really. So, you know, I've, I've tried to, you say I'm outspoken. I guess I have been, but only as really a, kind of an attempt to help others who might be struggling, you know, because I, kn- I know I hid for a long time out of shame or, or, you know, pride or whatever else. I guess they're opposite sides of the same coin, but... Um, you know, avoided far too long getting the sort of help I needed that could have changed my life a lot earlier. So I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I don't browbeat people about it, but you know, I want to be there and supportive and try to support causes that will, will help where it's necessary.
0: Do you find that it's nourishing to you and to your sobriety to help others and to reach out and make yourself available?
1: I I have found that. Yeah. I mean, I, um, uh, I know that in the the twelve step world, you know this concept of service is is sort of a part of the journey, and I'm not part of that uh, fellowship as such. But um, I think that's kind of a universal thing that you discover along the way. Because if you make it known that you've had a problem, then people naturally turn to you. Um, you know, if they think you're sensible, and there have been a couple of cases in recent months where people have you know in confidence come to me and said got any tips or, you know, will you hold my hand through this or whatever? And that's that's a really sort of rewarding um, feeling, you know, at least to be able to help. You can't fix anybody, but you can maybe give them some pointers um, along the way.
0: I remember we met at a tribute to the modifiers. Yes. But you, you were still on the sauce at that oh, point, yeah. just oh, to yeah. clarify? Yeah, yeah. I was, I was hammered that night, I'm sure. Uh, I'm confident. I was very recently... I had just gotten off of the sauce, you know, for a few months, I wasn't even a year in at that point, right? But certainly, and I, I hate to throw anybody under the bus as they say, but the saddest example of what alcoholism can do to your life that I ever saw up close was someone we both know. And that was Bob. Mm. Yeah. And seeing him, I mean, you know, he didn't, he didn't run himself over with a truck or anything. He didn't ask for that by drinking, but, um, and that certainly sped things up. Yeah. yeah. But man, I just think about how his life could have been different.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And there's, you know, uh, there's a lot of other examples that I've, uh, either played in bands with or just known or worked with over the years where that was evident. And I mean, this is the thing that I always find kind of funny and, and slightly embarrassing thinking about my own career was, you know, I, I think I went through a phase of thinking that I had everyone fooled, you know, I was not really together at all and was convinced that I was somehow pulling this off, you know, in front of everyone else. And, and, uh, and, you know, you can see it so clearly in, in others and, and, um, I still see it around me, you know, but uh, I just bite my tongue really um most of the time unless someone's obviously actively hurting themselves or others, you know, it's none of my business frankly, but you know, certainly if they reach out then I'm happy to happy to help to the extent that I can, but yeah, um it's probably a bit long-winded really, but
0: my thing wasn't that I thought I was fooling anybody. I thought that I needed it to be creative at a certain level. I thought there, that that the depression not just the alcoholism mm. but me being in pain was the source of my creativity and if yep. I took that away I was I was scared I wouldn't be able to to do this
2: anymore
1: yeah yeah I mean I, I can certainly uh, I can certainly understand that I mean you, you would uh, you look at people like Richard Pryor for example you'd argue that his his most brilliant comedy was when he was at his most you know am I allowed to swear
0: absolutely go he nuts was, has
1: at, at his most fucked up and that once he got he got clean, you know, uh, he didn't have that edge anymore. So I can certainly understand that angle of it. Um, for me, I guess I thought it was maybe some sort of personality amplifier or something like that, that I was somehow a better version of myself if I was a little bit lubricated or whatever. And as you're probably aware, you know, you reach that certain state where you think the world is fantastic, but, but I could never just maintain that state it always went on to something you know ending up in paralysis basically
0: yeah once you start chasing that perfect experience that perfect feeling past a certain point you start experiencing diminishing returns yes very
1: rapidly Yes, uh, it keeps rapidly. getting harder to find. It as does. They say. It does, and and you know, in my case, it got so extreme that I was I was really just drinking sort of to feel normal rather than uh, good in any way. I I felt far from good, but I, I felt yeah. really rotten without it. So um, that's you know why I'm I'm in a way I'm glad that my body sort of broke and forced me to confront it because I could have kept on in that you know, trying to strike that balance or just, just sort of faking it through every day with a hangover kind of, you know, um, which was my experience for many years, um,
0: you know, but good riddance. Do you find, because you're, you're someone, I mean, you're a musician and you're someone who That's, promotes shows, go to shows, all these sorts of things. We find ourselves frequently in dens of alcohol. Yeah, <clears throat> Is that? Is that still problematic for you? It's, that's something, that's a really good
1: question. And it's something that, you know, I've met, I met people in my early journey into sobriety. I met people in AA who, some of whom had been sober for 30 years. And they literally said, I can't, I still can't walk down the wine aisle at the supermarket. And I just thought, I'm damned if I'm going to end up like this. However, you know, however I have to do it, if I can't go see live music and be around all my people, you know, my friends who drink, who don't have a problem um you know that's gonna really cut off a huge part of my life that's very valuable to me uh spiritually so uh no it doesn't it doesn't bother me i think for me the choice is so clear i can't- i can't touch the stuff you know it's it's you know uh, i liken it to Russian roulette you know i've sort of i i've gotten lucky for five chambers why would I take a risk on on playing a sixth round you know so um doesn't doesn't bother me and that's that's a relief. I know a lot of people who do have have an issue with it But I I'm able to go out and hang out with people and and it's in some ways. It's kind of freshing refreshing like reinforcement Because after a certain point a lot of people don't make a huge amount of sense and uh, it kind of reminds me of yes <laughs> Of why I don't do that anymore i uh, been able to give a few people a, a lift home when pe- possibly they would have driven etc. So, you know, it, it's it's got Dividends as well as uh, you know, and it's you save a hell of a lot of money That's another thing I've noticed
0: for sure Uh, I personally don't find it tempting at all. I see people get Drunk at shows and I'm like, oh god get out of my face (laughs) but one thing I do find Kind of insidious is the entanglement of alcohol sales and entertainment and live music specifically I was talking about this with someone else recently there's really almost nowhere you can go see music and not be inundated with booze sales. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this was, you know, I,
1: I put on this this thing on April 30th that you did sound for brilliantly and, and the whole thing came off uh, really well. But that was a benefit for two recovery causes. And it's just sort of a quid pro quo of of booking a show in a venue that you want people to come to, even if it's a recovery um a benefit for recovery i didn't you know i wasn't in a position to mandate to the venue owners that they not sell booze and it's not for me to dictate who else is you know to the people who are coming whether they can drink or not it was it was sort of an uncomfortable thing i think two of the four bands on the bill were sort of big proponents of of sobriety and the other two were you know less so and no, so I... you know i I, <laughs> I stuck out of courtesy i stuck <laughs> beer and soft Beer and soft drinks in the green room, you know, for the bands. It's, so you, I think you have to just be realistic about what's really, uh, what's really possible there. And, and you know, I, don't want, I never want to be in the position of being perceived as like some sort of Taliban where I'm trying to preach to somebody about how they live or not. Um, I just want people to be careful. But yeah, it, it is insidious. It's, it's everywhere And the advertising. I was in a Mexican restaurant a few months ago, and there was a big Cuervo ad on the wall that said, cuervo because tomorrow's overrated and i you know i used to think well but yeah that's that's that was exactly my mentality yeah, exactly. that was my mentality yeah I'll, I'll start working on it tomorrow so that's what that's what we're up against uh as people trying to maintain Ugh. sobriety it's, it's just Man. i've just accepted as a that hits know, home and it, I mean the and and fina- yeah, definitely very much so <laughs> Financially, you know the I, I, I covered the cost of this thing uh, Just because I wanted to pay it forward and God knows I've spent money on worse things in the past And you know, but if I hadn't if we hadn't had booze for sale Then the cost of the venue probably would have been double just to get a room to play in so the, you know It's it's a balance and i you'd have to be pragmatic about it. I guess
0: um, yeah, and I have no ill will towards you know i'm friends with many of the club owners and promoters Mm, in town and i play at bars all the time but it would be cool if there was an all-ages stage that didn't have that you know i'm not saying that we have to ban alcohol from the high tone no you know i'm just saying it'd be cool if we had an option somewhere in midtown for an alcohol-free show
1: yeah bring back the antenna the days of the days of the all ages show at the antenna club which I don't know if your listeners are acquainted with but you know that that I mean that whole period I think was that was sort of a pragmatic approach on to you know solving a problem they had which was that I think a lot of the better paying uh, bookings for adults had dried up so they started doing those all ages shows with no alcohol in the afternoon which really Hmm. Sort of became the focal point of the club for the, the final years. At least, in, in that would be my view of the story. But you see, know when I, mean? I was
0: playing the Antenna Club, I was playing with Bob and my dad, and I was getting drugged for the ten and eleven o'clock, you know, beer bust shows. Right. With Spit yep. Spitshine was the band yep. at the time.
1: Good good times. I had beer no bust.
0: connection. Like I had friends. Pez was mm-hmm. playing in the all ages scene. Right. I didn't know anything about that.
1: I used to go to some of those all all ages shows because we ended up doing a few, I think the Grundy's, which is a band I was in, played, maybe we played a show with Taint Skins or something. I just remember being so completely floored by some of those kind of early 90s vegan hardcore bands. Taint Skins in particular were kind of like, you know, just so loud and sort of ferocious, you know. It was one of those rare experiences where you walk out going, what the fuck did I just see, you know. Um, so I, I kind of got into that scene a little bit, but, um, it was, you know, it was very political and, and, um, all the sort of vegan politics that I wasn't, wasn't part of, but I, I used to dip my toes in just out of curiosity and there was some great music going on there. And at the Babylon cafe, if you remember that,
0: I never went on... to shows there. I remember, I know that song is referenced in a simple tone song, right? But. I don't think I ever actually set foot in the Babylon.
1: Okay, it was it was a cool place. A lot of interesting things happened there. If you stayed there, it was sort of like Trafalgar Square. you know if you if you sat there long enough, eventually everyone you knew would would <laughs> pass through uh, or play a play a set or something. Um, but yeah, good times. Um, I, I take your point, certainly it would be good, I guess it's just the economics so this is a town where people expect a five dollar cover. You know, and if you don't have the the booze to subsidize the cost, I think of that's putting the changing. On,
0: Most of the shows I've played in the last year, two years here in Memphis have been seven or higher. True, true. But I, you know, I, I used to work in finance,
1: so I always sort of think about <laughs> you know adjusting for inflation. And so if we had you know four dollar, five dollar cover back in the eighties and nineties, and we're at seven now, then adjusted for inflation, things oh, we, have gone. We down. were stuck
0: on five for like twenty five, thirty years or something.
1: Yeah. But I still think maybe there's, if you try to balance the the economics of not having booze with, you know, a show trying to break even or. Oh, then you have to invent. You've got to increase. You have to
0: get the money from somewhere. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And uh, therein lies
0: the problem. Therein is the dilemma.
2: So it's such a shame. I can't tell. Yeah, if, if I, I could. Could.
0: just heard so disappointing by the long mind all the way from the uk featuring my guest jimmy inc let's get back to our conversation well you you mentioned that you played in the grundies and you'll pardon me for not knowing your complete backstory but i know you played in other bands too right yeah so the first band i
1: was in was called pseudo bop which uh featured linda heck uh, or Linda Scheid, as she was there uh, then- I know Linda, Then yeah. known, I think a lot of people do. She was our lead singer, and it was uh, Kurt Ruhlman, I guess is another name that people might recognize from the Memphis scene, was our original drummer. Um, and we went through a bunch of different changes. So that was 82, 83- that broke up. I then played with the legendary Dan Hopper from uh, Psychic Plowboys, I guess, in, in a rockabilly band with uh, Linda on bass and Ross on drums. Uh, we were called Kings of the Western Bop. Oh, yeah. Sort of a rockabilly torture band. And we went through a <laughs> weird phase where Tav Falco from Panther Burns was back in town and he didn't have a band because Chilton had gone to New Orleans and Jim Duckworth was playing with the Gun Club, et cetera. So we sort of became... Uh, yet another alternative version of the Panther Burns for a while in sort of 83, 84. Then I was with a band, or simultaneously, I was in a band called Four Neat Guys, which had Mick Cock, um, if people recall him, Mike Cup from what were his other bands, uh, Fluorescent um, Butt Jam, Fluorescent Butt Jam, Voodoo Village People, Cock Rock, yeah, the legendary Cock Rock, which is where I first met him. That would had Dave Catching. In it, we all know Dave. Hey, Dave, if you're listening, friend of the show, friend of the show, friend of everyone <laughs> who meets him, lovely man. Um, so, forney Guys is like a torture torture cover band. We I don't think we ever played the same set twice. Um,
0: uh, you I like know, how two of your bands are specifically torture. Well, that there's there's no other
1: there's no <laughs> other way there's no other way to describe it really. I don't think we intentionally said well. Four Neat Guys, we probably were into testing the audiences. Uh, patience. I mean, two <laughs> of our crowning glories were having the plug pulled on us two separate Sunday nights in an empty antenna club by Steve McGee's angry sister Robin because we were playing like Sex Bomb Baby for 40 minutes and she understandably lost her sense of humor at, you know, 2.30. But, um, and then so other other so Linda Heck and the Trainwreck I guess would be the, the best known of all those in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, bum Notes, uh, sort of jam, torture jam band, uh, as long as we're <laughs> on the torture theme. Grundy's uh, and a few Hot Joe, which was like a, that was originally a, a little quartet um, with me on vocals. We just did jazz standards. It was Jim Duckworth and John McClure, and uh, usually Doug Garrison or um, Rich Trosper or Ross Johnson on drums and Jim Spake on sax, and that evolved into some other stuff after I moved to Japan, but um, I was in and out of that band, and then I had a couple of bands in the UK where I lived uh, for 24 years, and now I'm part of Turnt, the, what was it called, punk rock super group.
0: Yeah, Uh, I was just talking about Turnt yesterday with uh, John Michael from 96X, he was watching one of your shows from LA. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah,
1: we do have some some uh, international and, and far-flung viewers around the world, but it's every other Sunday, so it's that turn is uh, Scott Taylor from the Grifters, Bill Webb from the Psychic Plowboys, Hans Fallhaber, who's played with all sorts of people, Martini Age and a bunch of other bands, Ross Johnson, Needs No Introduction, and I'm a relative- Friend of the show. Friend of the show. <laughs> And I'm a friend of the show, and I'm a relatively recent addition. I think I just, I, I went to all the shows, so they finally said, well, why don't you, I think I filled in for Bill on bass one week or something like that, and then I was sort of in the band, if it is a band. And we've had recent weeks, we've had uh, Haley from Little Baby Tendencies. I don't know if you know that band, but very, very intense.
0: No, but they are on my agenda to see soon. I've heard they, good things about them. They are they are incredible, but she, uh,
1: she, whipped out her flute while tending bar at the lamplighter and started playing some free jazz flute. And with the last, last time we had Ethan from, uh, Oak Walker join us on violin. So it's kind of a come one, come all musical food fight. You know, I wish I didn't work on Sundays. Well, we may have to, we may have to subsidize a day off for you so you can come down and, <laughs> or we could, we could do turnt on the porch at Shangri-La
0: I'd be fine with that about that I would be into that
1: I don't know what the Hueys people would say but
0: <laughs> I mean we've we've certainly had louder oh yeah I would imagine we're not loud we're just uh, you know confused you've told me several times that my dad did sound for you at the antenna which which one of those bands would that have been
1: that would have been pseudobop so I think the first the first show we ever played was opening for the modifiers on a Sunday night in 82 and um your dad i'm pretty sure was doing sound i mean there's it's you know my memories are a bit vague for various reasons but um also time um but uh I'm, i'm sure he did sound for us that first night um and then we you know we we had to open for the modifiers which was kind of a mortifying experience in a way <laughs> just because it was i mean we we got up and did our own little nervous set of sort of you know no wave whatever the hell we were doing and then in come the modifiers i think that night milford was brought in in a coffin or something like that and oh yeah i've, on I've the heard stage. about that one there was another show we did we played several shows with them and i saw them several times but there was another one where they had there was an old broken tv that was set on a some milk crates or something at the edge of the stage. And uh, he uh, he crawled under the stage, if you can imagine how horrible that must have been at the antenna, you know, crawled under the stage and up into this broken TV, which had been hollowed out. It was just the frame. And he had a flashlight under his chin. And... <laughs> He appears like singing a song, you know, um, with the modifiers wailing another time. I could have imagined this, but another time I'm pretty sure he drove a motorcycle into the club through the side door as his entrance. So it was always, you know, pure theater and just really intense, very loud, crazy rock and roll. So opening for someone like that as your first gig was pretty, you know, I sort of thought about packing it in right then, but but fortunately
0: didn't. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm relieved to hear that your memories of mixing it up with my dad do not involve him like beating you up or walking out on a gig or something like that. Well,
1: actually the the, the walking out on a gig, there was uh I've, I haven't really told this story, but uh the <laughs> the uh, Misty White, uh hey Misty, friend of the show. Uh I haven't had
0: her on. Oh, okay.
1: Well, she's in Toulouse. Uh so uh uh, anyway, she. I got
0: mad at her when I was fourteen because she was playing. We played a show with them, and she played my drum set, and she kept knocking my cymbals over. And fourteen-year-old me was not happy. About was that. Was that the
1: alluring strange? It was. Yeah. Well, so she starting in uh, must have been eighty five. Yeah, it was eighty five. Is that right? Eighty five, I think she she started uh, an annual Halloween party called Hell on Earth.
0: Yeah, I remember. The and, modifiers played a few times, I think. Yeah, so we played. So it the, I'm told
1: the first and the second. This is Linda Heck and the Trainwreck. So we we played the first one, and it was at that what was then a body shop on Marshall, which I think is now where the, all the sort of vintage cars, or it's like a vintage car museum or something. But back then, it was a working body shop. So she managed to rent this place, and we all turn up on various substances. But the but the solvents and the industrial paint were really thick. In the air so it was almost like a uninhabitable environment and uh, your dad was supposed to do was supposed to bring a PA and do sound and he didn't show up so we had to scramble to find I think we ended up have like singing through a guitar amp or something like that it was it was awful but and he got a lot of he got a lot of flack for that but I think there was some sort of dispute between him and Misty was what I was told that he Imagine just, that. he wasn't convinced my father involved
0: in a dispute
1: he was going to get paid so he he didn't turn up and uh there's a picture of of me and Harris scherner uh, on stage with our fists raised in the air. I think we were like ragging on your dad for not turning up or so I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry John Paul. It's okay. It was all a misunderstanding but um, I've so,
0: I've said far worse. But but I, I mean
1: I didn't I didn't really know him. I, I knew I guess I knew Bob best out of that whole that whole group and Milford a bit. Um your dad less so, but I, I certainly do remember him doing sound and doing a, a, a good job, considering it was the antenna. It wasn't state of the art equipment or a very friendly room, really. Sorry, I just banged your now it's okay. Stand.
0: I was I was happy to fulfill his legacy by doing sound at your show recently. It was great. Thank you. You mentioned that you did that to benefit recovery causes. Do you want to mention which ones and sure. why you picked them? Sure. Okay. So
1: uh, initially I thought about doing it only for um, smart recovery. So smart recovery is a global movement uh, called it's, smart stands for self-management and recovery tools. Uh, There's a chapter in Memphis that just started up, I think, in August of last year that I found very helpful. We got a weekly meeting on Thursdays at 7 at St. John's uh, at the corner of Peabody and uh, Bellevue. Um, But uh, I wanted to, to pump some money their way because I think they want to expand to have more than one meeting a week. Um, and to maybe subsidize training up some more meeting facilitators. Cause at the moment we've only got two who are certified and, you know, sometimes they're just, they've got conflicts. So, um, that was the general idea. And then midway through, I, um, had a suggestion from one of the bands that, that played on the bill that another name to add to that would be project wit, which is, um, I won't use the term halfway house. It's it's more than that. It's a uh, sober living and sort of transitional support facility in Midtown, um, which uh, at least one of my friends credits with saving his life. They tend to take a lot of uh, very difficult early recovery cases straight out of of jail or prison or homelessness. Uh, and in addition to giving them a, you know counseling and support and a place to live, they uh, provide job um training and job uh, seeking assistance parenting classes all sorts of things so um, the money was split between the two of those
0: sounds like two very worth, worthy organizations
1: uh, absolutely very much so you know wish wish i could have done more for them and could have broadened the net uh... to include a lot of the other worthy organizations that are out there because it's a you know it's a monumental task and uh... Not enough, nearly mm-hmm. enough resource really being thrown at it. Um, but I try to do my bit. Maybe we'll do it again. Yeah, don't sounds know. good. Yeah.
0: Well, I know you're also involved pretty heavily with WYXR. Yes, and you recently had your spring pledge drive, or we is that what you s- call it? Spring
1: pledge drive. Yeah. There's there's two years. Don't want
0: to step on anybody's uh, Octo- proprietary October language April, there. Stri- spring pledge drive
1: trademark. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and we met our goal, and uh I was pleased with um I did a little matching fundraiser on facebook that the response to that was pretty stunning uh, financially damaging, but i'm happy to I'm happy to take the hit. It's a, definitely something i'm I'm happy to be involved with and supportive of. I have a show on Monday nights at eleven p m Central called a world away, which in theory is a world music show, but I kind of do whatever I want uh sometimes feature like a family of instruments so i did a special on the steel guitar i did something on bowed instruments i've done did a whole show on unreleased memphis stuff from the 80s and 90s which was pretty interesting uh, my cassette tapes have miraculously survived and i digitate digitized i mean it's stuff that would have been done at easily McCain in the early 90s and a lot of those masters were lost, you know in the fire So I may be one of the few people with you know a copy of some of that stuff So I wanted to share that Interesting. currently uh, my last show was a feature on Loverly Loverly music this very odd label from Memphis from the the 93 to
0: 99 principally uh, was when i've got operating. several loverly sevens over there in my box i'd be interested in
1: looking at those because i've i've never actually seen one in the wild um i guess it's because i moved away just as that was all kicking off but uh yeah i I don't even have a copy of the one I the my band's 45 but uh um I'm, I'm sure we can remedy that somewhere I'll surely go, someone I'll has I'll we might have sh- one at shangri-la i'll honestly. go down to shangri-la and pay 50 dollars for my grundy single it's it'll be worth <laughs> it it'll be, it'll be worth it Uh, But yeah, the station's great, Um, you know, freeform uh, format changes pretty dramatically every couple of hours, Um, very diverse representation across, you know, ethnic, socioeconomic uh, age brackets, and um, it's very cool, really, really proud to be part of it.
0: Yeah, I'm proud to be a listener, and I don't think I'm telling tales out of school by saying that I'm actually producing a Back to the Light special. For WYXR, awesome! That will be airing at some point later this year. Wow! Okay, wonderful. Any
1: idea when? Mm,
0: kind of when I finish it. No, I mean I—I I meant uh, the time slot because they,
1: they've got some—they've got some slots that are coming. Oh, I think like...
0: it's going to air in the he. JB said possibly in the Monday night. Whatever y'all do on Monday nights. There's a talk in Memphis slot, which is kind of
1: a rotating. That's, that's at it. Seven seven p.m.
0: It might be used in that slot. I think. Oh, great,
1: great. Come one, come all. Can't wait to hear what you came up with. Yeah, me
0: too. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been fun, Jimmy. Thanks for mm. stopping by the house. My thanks pleasure. for coming by. Thanks for having a- anything me. Anything we missed?
1: Uh, let me think. Uh, yeah, it was a it was a warm summer's evening in 1976. And no, uh, you, you don't want to ask me those open ended questions because you will we'll never. Li- I'll never leave your house. But um, no, I think that's pretty comprehensive. Um, Anything? uh, No, I think we're good. That was great. Great. Thanks, man. I'll phone in any changes
0: later. Yeah, Yeah. please do. (laughs) And you can send me some music if you want. Yeah, I will. Thanks, man. Thank you. That's the show. Thanks to James Jimmy Inc. Thanks to Arthur with two H's for the opening theme. Thank you to Joey Pegram for the closing theme. Thank you for listening. For music, news, episode archives, and other fine podcasts, visit backtothelight.net. And until next time, take care, y'all. of the Back to the Light podcast network at backtothelight.net.